The topic for today is, is hope, and I've entitled the sermon, A Confident Hope. But it might strike you as odd, or maybe not, that the great passages of hope come out of a book called Isaiah, where for the most part, the notion of hope is surrounded by chaos and destruction and everything we think of as evil. But it's into that chaos and destruction that a word of hope brings life. And actually, it's very appropriate for hope to be spoken into those situations. Into the current reality which sometimes is brutal, hope is spoken. There was a rather famous uh, military admiral who spent a considerable amount of time in prison during the Vietnam War. His name was Admiral Stockdale. Admiral Stockdale eventually served uh, in a variety of capacities uh, post-military career, and one of those was as a professor at Stanford University. He spoke a lot and spoke about his life and what he'd learned in captivity and as a military officer. And one of the things that he stated routinely became known as the Stockdale Principle. I'll I'll read you the Stockdale Principle. Speaking of his captivity or any other part of your life that may seem like that, his words were these. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end with the discipline to confront the brutal facts of your current reality. Let me read that again. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end with the discipline to confront the brutal facts of your current reality. He went on to say in numerous occasions that while he was in captivity, he noticed that it was the extreme optimists who didn't make it. They were the people who said, we're going to get out of here. We'll be out by Thanksgiving. When Thanksgiving didn't come, they said, we'll be out by Christmas. When Christmas didn't bring deliverance, they said, we'll be out by Easter. And he said, eventually, those kind of landmark dates begin to crush their spirit. So, that's why he says, we can't can't understand hope or faith without facing the brutal facts of our current reality. In the midst of our current reality, when we face it with discipline, hope comes alive. If it's hope that's true. So the question would be, how do we define hope? 
we define hope as our steadfast faith in the promises of God. We define hope in terms of expectations concerning the coming kingdom of God. If you and I were to advance our reality back 3,000 years, and we would be the people of God in the land of Israel, we would define our hope as the coming of the Messiah. And we may see passages like the one we read today as promises concerning the coming of Messiah. But when we attach our hope to our particular timeline, detached from the sovereign eternal plan of God, then we crush our own hope. Imagine the people who hoped for and longed for and believed in the coming of the Messiah. Some of them eventually gave up hope. They just thought it's never going to happen. Perhaps it wasn't even true to begin with. Others held steadfastly to the hope, and then when Christ actually came, when Messiah dawned, they said to themselves, this couldn't be the fulfillment of the hope. I don't define it that way. My understanding of Messiah is entirely different. He doesn't match that. And in either situation, hope is lost. So how do we define hope? Let me suggest that perhaps we ought to define hope by three things. One, by remembering the past. Two, by patience in the present. And three, by inviting in the future. I don't want to reveal the end of my sermon yet, but you might notice that I did not say anticipating the future, which I think is also appropriate. First, remembering the past. Things were not going well for this people in Isaiah chapter 11. Their cities had been burned, if you read the first chapter, and there was more chaos coming. In order to have hope, these people had to think of the past. As a matter of fact, it was part of their history. When they anticipated God's coming by way of the Messiah, they thought of past deliverance. They thought of Moses and the Red Sea. They thought of Abraham and the promise of his son that didn't come until he was 100 years old. They thought of the kingdom of David, which was the pinnacle of Israel. They thought about Solomon's reign. They thought about all the things that were good and just and proper and right. And they remembered God's faithfulness to them, not because they were good and just and proper and right, but because God was. And because God delivered them out of the hands of enemies that were more powerful than, from them over and over again. They remembered. 
So hope must be remembering the past. And of course, for Christians, when we speak of hope in the middle of this season, we have to remember the life of Jesus. That's our memory of the past, as well as the memory of God's faithfulness to His people in the Old Testament. He came as Messiah, and He fulfilled the law and the prophets. He came and He conquered death by His resurrection. He came, and in His conquering of death by the resurrection, He promised eternal life and the restoration of all things. So we look back at that resurrection and we remember that resurrection and we anchor our hope in that resurrection because that resurrection does not just speak of a moment in time where Jesus came out of the grave. It speaks concerning our future. It is our advent with Christ. It is eventually the restoration of all things because in the person of Jesus Christ, sin and death have been defeated, and that is our hope. And in order to cling to that hope, we very frequently have to look backwards and at the same time look at the brutal facts of our own reality. There's another element to hope, it seems. It's not only just remembering the past, it's patience in the present. There's a wonderful book um, that is entitled Liturgy of the Ordinary that I would recommend to you. The author's name, if you are inclined to look it up, is Tish Harrison Warren. Tish Harrison Warren speaks of the liturgy of the ordinary and makes parallels to an important part of what Advent is all about. In one word, waiting. In chapter 8 of her book, entitled Sitting in Traffic, she puts it this way. I'm on Highway Interstate 35, stopped. I can't see what's ahead. Is it a wreck, road construction? I check my map app. A red thick line stretches on for what appears to be over a mile. I'm going to be here for a while. My kids are strapped into their car seat, kicking the seats in front of them out of boredom. We're all a little tired and a little whiny. It's hot in the car. I crank up the air conditioner and turn on the radio. We need to get home soon or my kids will be cranky and starving, as they say. They'll get a late bath. They'll be late to bed. And there goes my hope for a little bit of downtime as I wait I grow increasingly irritated. She goes on to say, I've never really understood why people honk in traffic. (laughs) No one can go anywhere any faster. We're all just stuck. 
when I read that um, this week, I, I thought of another circumstance in which many of you have experienced a flight delay. What do you do? You can't control the circumstances. Nothing you can do to get the, the plane off the tarmac. The pilots are not even in the building. So you pace around as if faster walking will somehow speed up time. You mutter to yourself as if it's going to make it better. You read a book and you really don't take in the content because you're impatient with your current reality. The question is, can we readjust our frame of reference and learn to be patient with our current reality? Tish Harrison Warner goes on to describe something that's fascinating. Speaking of Advent and Lent, she says, I began to recognize at one point that for Christians we live in a parallel time. It's an alternative form of time. It's called the church's liturgy. Now she's high church Anglican and you have to appreciate liturgy if you're Anglican. In that context, and even for us, at least twice a year, Advent and Lent, we enter into a different form of time. The seasons shape us. Advent and Lent, they both are about remembering, preparing, and actually anticipating. Those in the rich parts of the Anglican or other high church traditions realize that Lent and Advent include fasting as well. Remembering, preparing, and anticipating while waiting. Not just rushing ahead. A theologian named Hans von Balthasar, I've probably pronounced that German name wrong, stated something about patience this way. He said, patience is the basic constituent of Christianity. The power to wait, to persevere, to hold out, to endure to the end, not to transcend one's own limitations, not to force issues by playing the hero or the titan, but to practice the virtue that lies beyond heroism, the meekness of the Lamb which was led. That is to be thoroughly patient in the Christian tradition. Harrison goes on to compare the liturgy of our years as Christians to the hubbub and the 
fast-pacedness of us moving from one event, one celebration to another. We rush to Halloween and get the costumes, and before long we're running to order the turkey, and then we're on to Christmas, and then we're on to a New Year's party, and then, and then, and then. Exhausted by our own celebration, she says, the liturgy of the ordinary tells us a different story. In her words, it's this. The practice of liturgical time teaches me day by day that time is not mine. Can I say that again? The practices of liturgical time teach me day by day that time is not mine. And I'm going to insert a comment into her wonderful words. And it reminds me that time need not control me. She goes on to say, it does not revolve around me. Time revolves around God. What He has done. What He is doing. And what He will do. That's a Christian understanding of time. Birthed in the liturgical calendar. I mentioned in order to have Christian hope, perhaps it's necessary to remember the past and to have patience with the present. But third, to invite in the future. Now I reveal what I only referred to before. There's some sense in which patience is not just anticipation of the future. But Christian patience is inviting the future into today. Listen to this quote from an ancient Christian father named Tertullian. The single mark of patience is not endurance or fortitude, but hope. To be impatient is to live without hope. Patience is grounded in the resurrection. It is a life oriented toward a future that God is doing and its sight is a longing. Not so much to be released from the ills of the present, but to anticipate the good things to come. There is a a phrase that's frequently used among theologians that we live in the already, not yet. We live in the here and now where death has been conquered, but not yet. We live in the here and now where disease will vanish, but not yet. We live in the eternal reality of Christ present in our lives, but not completely yet, because we do not yet live with Him. If there is such a thing as parallel time, which I believe there is, then the future is not 
just about what will come. It's about how we enter into the future right now. We patiently await the coming of the kingdom of God. And we wait for the kingdom of God to invade our temporal reality of time and space. And my friends, it does. It invades our temporal reality of time and space, eternity, when we experience mercy and justice and love and peace and joy and a confident hope. Most of the time when we think about our life here and that life out there, whatever heaven means, we basically think in terms of tiers of existence. This tier of existence is you and me. But there's another tier of existence up here called heaven. And frequently, as far as we go, is this notion that you and I hope that someday we will leave this present reality and enter that reality, which is heaven. I don't want to dismiss that idea, but I want to hold it in tension with something else. As much as that is true, there is also a parallel truth that I think begins with the incarnation itself. When God became human in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ repeatedly spoke concerning the kingdom of God that was now among you. Now you might turn that into a closed historical moment and say for the moments of 33 years, the kingdom of God was among us. Or you might expand it in the way I believe Jesus wanted you to expand it. When he spoke about the body of Christ being present with us, or Paul did, that there is some sense in which the kingdom of God is among us. Why else would Jesus say, pray this way, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven, just like it is in heaven And when it happens, eternity is with us. Dan and I, Pastor Dan, were talking about some kind of graph. He described it as better a video of what I'm about to describe. Here's typically our reality. One tier, my existence and yours. Second tier, heaven or the eternal reality. Suppose, just for a moment, we flipped it and said right now there is a parallel reality right alongside time and space that is eternal. 
And periodically, those two lines converge. And heaven kisses earth. And the eternal is experienced in time and space. But wait, there's more. This eternal reality, which periodically converges, will eventually be one. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Pray for the coming kingdom of God. Face the brutal facts of your current reality with hope because God is sovereign and he will make it happen. What do you do in the meantime? I think what 1 Peter 3.15 said you do. Be ready on all occasions to speak about the hope that is within you. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, you have um, given us a real hope in Jesus Christ. You didn't ask us to fantasize about the possibility that someday everything would be made new. You came in the person of Jesus Christ and entered our brutal reality. The reality of life and death and pain and sickness and suffering of all sorts, emotional and physical and otherwise. You entered that reality, Lord, and you stamped it for all time with your eternity. And you reminded us that the kingdom was coming. And that the kingdom was here. So Lord, as we enter this Advent season with all the trappings of Christmas around us, which frankly have become so secular, we pray you will bring our hearts and minds back to the message of Advent. That we hope for what we do not yet have in its fullness. But we experience with joy what we have now when your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth just like it is in heaven. Make us people, Lord, who model the kingdom of God, experience it together, and witness it to our world. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.